Before we jump into this morning's message, just a couple of quick reminders by way of announcement. First of all, our life groups are starting back up this month. While they are always open and you can jump into them whenever, this is a great time to plug into a life group. And so if you are not currently in one of our life groups, go on our website or follow the link in our e-bulletin that goes out every week. There was one from this past week's e-bulletin. It'll be in this week's email again. And sign up for a life group. There are a variety available. They meet all over Knoxville. Some of them are focused on online only and using like the Zoom platform. Others are meeting um, in person in different ways, outdoors and things of that nature. And so there's a spot for you. We need each other. Plug in. Um, one more thing I want to announce. This is kind of your last opportunity. Um, this week is your last week to sign up for our foundations classes. If you're new to the church or you've been around for a while and you've never gone through them, it's a great way to get to know me and my wife, Amy, personally, to hear kind of the background and the history of our church, how we got to Knoxville, why we're in Knoxville. Um, and then we talk about the foundation of who we are as a church, what we believe, what we focus on, how we operate. Um, it's a great place for you to ask questions and get to know us better. And so you can sign up for that. Um, there's a spot to do that on our church's website as well, um, or a link in the e-bulletin. So you got one week left to sign up, and then we're going to launch that, that group um, in August. Um, we will meet either through Zoom or in person. My wife and I are open to either one. We're going to kind of see from the group of people signing up where everybody's at, and then we'll make a decision on that. All right, well, love you guys. Excited to be together this morning. Let's jump into the Word of God. Um, we're going to be in the book of Daniel, and there's a lot of rich stuff in the life of Daniel that we could look at, but we're going to hone in on the fact that Daniel lived a life of faithful devotion to God. That was the tone of his life, and specifically, we're going to look at the role that prayer and fasting played in the life of Daniel. And so I want to invite you guys into this. We'll look at Daniel as an example then we'll look throughout Scripture um, to see how and why we're called to fast at times. And then we're going to get really practical at the end of the message and talk about how we can, we can participate in fasting, why we would do that, how we can do that. So the primary focus today is on prayer and fasting and the role that it plays in our faithful devotion to the Lord. So let's pray, let's prepare our hearts, and then we're going to jump right into this together. All right, here we go. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love for us. God, we thank you that, that the primary message of the gospel is that a loving God, you, our loving God, has made a way for us to be rescued from our own struggle with sin and the consequences of death that it brings in our life. And Lord, that you are up to the great work of healing and redeeming this earth from the clutches of wickedness, of evil, of despair, of destruction. God, you're doing a great redemptive work. It, you're motivated by your love and you're inviting us into a vital relationship with you and to participate in what you're doing in this world. 
And so, Jesus, we thank you that you are the living word, and we pray that you would come alive in our hearts today. Holy Spirit, would you fulfill your role as teacher and guide this morning? Guide us into all truth. Help us understand things. Help us to learn things that we don't know. God, remind us of truths that that maybe we do know and we've forgotten or neglected. And Lord, ultimately, would you encourage us where we need to be refreshed and restored? Would you challenge us where we need to be convicted and need to change? God, we submit our hearts to you and to hearing from you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, well, let's dive into this. Um, Just to give you some quick context, um, we're looking at the book of Daniel today. And Daniel lived during the time of the exile. We mentioned him a little bit last week. He was contemporaries with the prophet Ezekiel. But Daniel was in a unique position. He was taken into captivity and he was placed in the king's court. And so kind of over the course of his his life, his ministry as a prophet, um, he rose to a place of powerful influence and prominence in Babylon. Um, He survived and thrived actually, even in the midst of incredibly hard circumstances, he survived and thrived and had influence in the lives of several kings and even experienced a transition when the Medes and Persians conquered Babylon. And so he had voice and influence both with Nebuchadnezzar and his son, and then also under the reign of Darius and Cyrus. And so um, God's hand was on his life. His favor was on his life. And the thing that we see over and over again in Daniel's life is that he was a faithfully devoted follower of God. He was uncompromising in his behavior and he was devoted to and relying upon God. And because of that, there was great favor on his life. He received wisdom, guidance, strength. He was put in places of honor. He was also put in dangerous situations um, and yet was able to navigate through those by faith, trusting in God. He excelled under a harsh regime and he excelled in high-pressure, life-and-death situations, and it was all a direct result of God's faithfulness, primarily, but Daniel's devotion to his God. And so what I want to do this morning is, as as we begin to talk about faithful devotion and the central role of prayer and fasting in our walk with God, I want to look first at Daniel as an example. And so I'm going to go through these rather quickly, Um, Hope you stuck with the Bible reading this week, and this will sound familiar to you as you read through Daniel's life. Um, But let me just walk you through a couple of these. Okay, so chapter 1, as he first gets brought into captivity and he's being prepared to to potentially serve in the king's court, he's put through and his friends are put through these rigorous um, preparations, and then they're going to be presented to the king to see how they stack up against the other young men that are vying for this position of working within the king's court. And so Daniel immediately takes a strong stance and holds a firm conviction by food and drink, so something external, but he viewed it as a reflection of his internal commitment to God, that he did not want to compromise himself and his beliefs. And so he took a strong stand for something practical and tangible as it relates to food and drink in order to stay devoted to God. 
And so as a direct result of Daniel taking that stand, I want you to hear some of the things that transpire as a result of this. Daniel chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 9, 17, and 20. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. So the guy that was kind of overseeing all of these young men that were going to be tested um, and prepared, Daniel had favor with him because of God. Verse 17, as for these four youths, Daniel and his three friends, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. As Daniel prioritized his devotion to the Lord and his faithful walk with him, God's hand of favor was on him. It didn't just keep Daniel from trouble. We'll see trouble that Daniel finds himself in along the way. But in the midst of the ups and downs of Daniel's life, God blessed him with wisdom, direction. Um, he helped him to understand literature and wisdom. So he, he impacted Daniel's mind. Um, Daniel's spiritual life, he had insight and understanding. He could interpret and understand visions and dreams. And then finally, verse 20. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, this is talking about Daniel and his friends, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And so the foundation of Daniel's adult life living in exile in a hostile environment was that he was going to be devoted to his God first and foremost. And God elevated and promoted him and cared for him and his friends in the midst of this situation. Now we move into chapter 2. The king, Nebuchadnezzar, he has a dream and he's disturbed by it. And he views it as a message and something of vital importance. But when he wakes up, he can't remember the dream. And so he demands of his advisors that they tell him what his dream was and then that they tell him the interpretation. And all of his advisors are terrified. They're like, hey, if you can tell us the dream, we can interpret it. But like, how could we possibly know what your dream was? And so finally he said to them, if y'all can't do this, I'm killing every one of you. And this would have included Daniel and his friends. And so Daniel makes an appointment with the king and says, I'll tell you the dream and I'll tell you the interpretation. And then Daniel gathers his three friends, these devoted followers of Jesus, and he says this to them in Daniel chapter 2, verse 18. And he told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Verse 19, then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. They devoted themselves to prayer and to seeking God for guidance. This is a life or death situation. And Daniel raised his hand before he had the answer and said, I'm trusting my God and King, I'll make an appointment with you to tell you this dream and this interpretation. And God provided a way. Now, I don't want to go past this too quickly. If you read through verses 20 through 23, you see that for Daniel, this goes beyond just trying to get things to happen. What you see from Daniel is a heart for God. He praises God. He worships Him. He acknowledges Him as the God of his ancestors, 
and as his God, and he recognizes God's faithfulness. Friends, devotion to the Lord is not primarily motivated by what we get from him. It's primarily rooted in who God is and in our desire to know him, to walk with him, and be in a right relationship with him. That was Daniel's motivation. He enjoyed God's protection and wisdom and benefits. But first and foremost, he sought the Lord no matter what. All right, so now we move forward into chapter 6. Now, this is years now of Daniel faithfully walking with the Lord. He's now under the rule of the king of the Medes and Persians who have conquered Babylon, and this is King Darius. And Daniel now has a legacy of being considered a man of wisdom. Darius already has him as one of his top three advisors in all of his kingdom, and he's considering moving Daniel to be his right-hand man. And all of Daniel's rivals are furious about this, and they want to undermine Daniel. And so you can read the incredible story that we refer to as just the story of Daniel in the lion's den, where these men create this scenario where the only thing they can find wrong with Daniel is that he's very devoted to his God in daily prayer. In fact, he prayed three times minimum every day, morning, midday, evening. And so they proposed to the king in order to stoke his pride that he signs a 30-day decree that for 30 days, all of the people of his kingdom can only pray to him, the king, and not to any other God or deity. And so Darius does this. He later regrets it. Um, Daniel hears about this, and yet he immediately decides, I'm going to continue to do what I've always done. And he continues to pray openly, right in front of his open window. And of course, these guys were watching. He gets thrown to the lions, and we know God rescues him. But again, Daniel was so committed um, he wasn't going to compromise his daily prayers, even if it meant death. Um, a couple more examples. Chapter 9. I love this one. This is worth all of us considering. Um, I'm just going to touch on it briefly, but he's reading the prophet Jeremiah, and he realizes that Jeremiah had predicted they would be in captivity for 70 years. And Daniel realizes, we're, get, we're reaching the end of that time. We're almost at the end of captivity. Now, what you would think is he's reading this document that he would just go, man, this is great. He'd celebrate and just sit around and kind of twiddle his thumbs and wait for the inevitable to happen. That's not what he does. In light of what God has said he will do, in light of God's promises, Daniel turns and he fasts and he prays and he repents. He repents over the legacy of sin that caused Israel to be in this position. He repents for himself and all of God's people for their still current ways of neglecting faithfully following the Lord. And so he doesn't sit back and just rely upon what God has promised. He seeks the God of the promise and fasts and prays and repents and seeks God and says, God, will you forgive us? Will you have mercy? And will you do what you've promised uh, that you would do and bring us out of exile? I love that. Um, and then finally in chapter 10, we see Daniel, he's an old man now. And in chapter 10, um, he takes this time 
to mourn. And in his mourning, he's fasting, and he goes on a three-week fast from delicacies, from meat, from wine. Here's the thing that I hope you guys can see, that consistently throughout Daniel's life in different seasons, he was consistently a man of prayer and at times would even fast. He would bring his physical body into agreement or alignment with his spirit. Prayer and fasting, they are essential in our lives. They work together. It connects spirit, soul, and body in common pursuit. I want you to hear this quote from Andrew Murray. It's from his great book called With Christ in the School of Prayer. And he's talking about the role of prayer and fasting working together. And he says this, Prayer needs fasting for its full growth. Prayer is the one hand with which we grasp the invisible. Fasting is the other hand with which we let go of the visible. I love that. They work together. I'm letting go of the visible, tangible things that I can see, and I'm grabbing hold of the invisible, the spiritual. Fasting connects our physical bodies in cooperation with what God is doing on a larger spiritual scale. When I am saying no to things like food, at the exact same moment, I'm saying yes to the Lord as I'm seeking and pursuing Him in prayer. Okay, so here's what we're going to do now. We've looked at Daniel. I want to I walk you through the role of fasting. I want you to see its prominence and importance in the Scripture, and I want you to see examples of different circumstances that would lead God's people to fasting. Um, here's what our take should be on fasting. I love this quote. It's by John Wesley, and he says this about fasting. Some have exalted religious fasting beyond all Scripture and reason, and others have utterly disregarded it. Listen, there are some people that go overboard with this. It's like their spiritual badge of honor. Um, you know, I'm this faster and I do it all the time and in all these seasons. And it's even kind of an outward public thing. It's like it becomes a source really almost of spiritual pride. That's wrong. That's unhealthy. But the problem is many believers in rejecting a form of religiosity, in rejecting a form of legalism, have neglected a powerful, beneficial, essential part of our devotion. Fasting is seen throughout the Old and the New Testament as a vital part of the lives of the people of God, and it's directly connected to prayer and seeking God. And so we shouldn't overstate it or utilize it as some source of spiritual pride like I'm above and beyond others because I fast, but I also shouldn't neglect it. We need to find that healthy middle ground where we realize it's of vital importance. So I have a lot of scriptures in my notes. I am not going to read all of these scriptures this morning. Um, we'd be here for a couple of hours if we did that. And so you can just say, thank God right now that we're, we're not going to do that. But I am making my notes available. They're always available online. And I would encourage you to take your time and go through this material. For the rest of this sermon, I'm going to move quickly through a lot of points. Um, and I'm doing that because I want to be thorough. 
And so I want you to hear all of these things, but I would encourage you, spend time, grab these notes, spend time in the Word of God, seek the Lord and see how God might invite you in a little bit more, a little bit further in your relationship with Him to develop that intimate, vital relationship and have prayer and fasting be a central part of that, okay? So here we go, buckle in. Why should we fast? Here's some biblical reasons for fasting. Uh, Jesus fasted. <laughs> we could close the book, end the sermon, stop right there. Jesus fasted. The, the man who was both fully God and fully man saw the need to fast while he was on this earth. In fact, he launched his ministry coming out of a 40-day fast that we see in Luke chapter 4. You can see it in verses 1 and 2. So Jesus fasted. Um, that's a good enough reason for me. But to give us a sense of some of the circumstances where people would fast, let's, let's continue on. Um, people fasted when they were in a season of hearing and receiving from God. So just simply to be more fully focused on hearing and receiving what God had to say, people would neglect food and drink to just soak in and feast on what the Lord had to say. We see examples of this in Exodus 34, in verses 27 and 28, when Moses was receiving the Ten Commandments from God and spending all that time with him up on the mountain, he fasted 40 days and 40 nights. In Matthew chapter 15, we see that the people who were following Jesus had been neglecting food and drink, potentially for as much as several days, and Jesus began to have compassion on them because they'd been listening to all of his teaching and they needed to stop and eat. Um, and so we see people neglecting food and drink in order to hear and receive from God. We see people fasting in Scripture while mourning. David mourns Saul and Jonathan's death in 2 Samuel 1, 11 and 12 by, by um, fasting and mourning. Nehemiah mourns the condition of Jerusalem in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4. This is part of what prompts and leads him to help rebuild, see the city of Jerusalem rebuilt and the wall protected. So mourning is a reason to fast. Seeking mercy and repenting. Man, we see that throughout the scripture where there's a, there's a great need for God's people to repent and turn back to him. And they see the error of their ways and they're seeking God's mercy. And so there's real, genuine, heartfelt repentance. And so we see individuals fast while they are repenting of personal sin David does this in 2 Samuel 12, 16. Ahab, wicked King Ahab, even does this in 1 Kings 21, 27. We also see national examples or corporate examples where a leader encourages other people to, to fast and pray for mercy and repentance. We see an example of this in 1 Samuel 7, 5, and 6. All right, a few other examples here. Seeking God's help and intervention there are times where God's people realize, Lord, we are in an impossible situation. We don't know what to do. We cannot solve this problem. And Lord, we are looking to you for you to intervene in these circumstances and to help us. There's an example of this in Esther chapter 4, verse 16. Um, we also see Daniel seeking God's intervention and restoration in an example I gave earlier in Daniel 9, verse 3. Um, seeking healing and deliverance. Prayer and fasting are connected to seeing healing and deliverance. We see an Old Testament example 
in 1 Samuel 1.7 when Hannah, who was barren, was regularly praying and seeking God in the temple to have a child. And she fasted and prayed when she did that. We see Jesus himself, another example of Jesus fasting. When he comes across a boy who was demon-possessed and had fits of epilepsy, and his disciples could not heal the boy. And Jesus is able to heal him. And he says specifically, I want to read this one to you in Matthew 17, 21. He says, however, this kind, this sort of deliverance, this kind of healing that needed to take place, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Friends, there is spiritual territory that we can only take through faithful devotion and prayer and fasting. It's biblical. Jesus said it. Jesus lived it. Um, Okay, another example is seeking guidance. Um, We see a lot of examples of this in the early church. We see Paul and Barnabas and the early church leaders, when they were appointing people to leadership, they would fast and pray for guidance. You can find examples of that in Acts 13, verses 2 and 3, and Acts 14, verse 23. Um, And then finally, kind of last thing in this category, I mentioned an example a minute ago, but there are times of corporate fasting. Fasting is, is most often, I would say, most regularly, I would say, an individual decision that's made where an individual person is seeking God. And as Jesus encourages us, let's not flaunt our fasting. It's not about outward appearance. In fact, you actually negate the benefits of it when you flaunt it with an outward thing. Do it in secret. Do it in private. It's between you and the Lord. But there are biblical times where there is corporate fasting. And if we are participating in those, I would just say, again, it's not a thing to flaunt in spiritual pride. It's just a linking of arms together to say, we need Jesus and we need to seek him. And so let's do it. And you can see some examples of corporate fasting in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. King Jehoshaphat calls for it. In Jonah chapter 3, a a pagan king in Nineveh calls his entire city to fast and repent in light of um, the judgment that Jonah said is coming. Um, In Ezra chapter 8, Ezra tells the people, they're not not repenting of anything. He says, hey, we're about to make a four-month journey back to Jerusalem. And before we do that, before we move from exile back to our home city of Jerusalem, let's pause and fast and pray and seek God for guidance and protection along the way. And then the prophet Joel in Joel's chapter 1 and 2 calls nationally for the people to fast and repent in light of God's call to return to him. Here's the deal, friends. I know that was a lot of information, okay? Fasting. Fasting is about connecting our hearts with God, and it it helps to bring about needed growth and change. Friends, we have been invited into a real relationship with the living God. He loves us. He cares for us. That relationship is meant to be enjoyed and enriched as we get to know God better. That relationship is meant to transform us. Change hurts sometimes. But the change that God wants to bring in our lives is for our benefit. And so one of the ways that we participate with God, one of the ways that we grow in our relationship with Him is we learn to come and submit to His control. 
Humility is so key in our walk with God. He's God, I'm not. And fasting is one of the key ways. Prayer and fasting, always connect them together. Prayer and fasting is one of the key ways that I can um, tell my physical body, you're gonna submit. You're gonna submit. This is gonna cost you something, but it's for, it's for my good, for my benefit, to enrich my relationship, to bring about growth and change, maybe to repent, maybe to seek guidance, maybe because I need help and intervention, whatever it is, but ultimately it's about seeking God in His presence. All right, I want to wrap things up, taking about maybe five more minutes, um, possibly 10, you know, I'm a, I'm a preacher guy, so my timing's probably a little bit off, but hang with me here, all right? And I want to give you some guidance on fasting. We've seen Daniel's example. We've seen some examples throughout Scripture of how to fast, or how, why to fast, and reasons we would fast. Now I want to talk to you about how to fast, okay? Um, I want to give some credit to a couple people here. A lot of this material is taken from Dr. Richard Foster, his book called Celebration of Discipline. Man, I think every believer should have a copy of that book on their shelf that is highlighted and marked up and dove into because he gives us really practical guidance in how we develop a devoted relationship with God and the role that different spiritual disciplines play in our relationship with God. And so on, in his chapter on kind of prayer and fasting, um, I want to talk to you guys a little bit about the purpose of fasting and some practical ways we walk this out. I also want to give credit, I'll mention him again in a minute, to Jensen Franklin. He's got a great book simply called Fasting. It's a key part of how he leads his church um, at Free Chapel down in Georgia. And so I would encourage you to check that book out. It's a really, really good book. It's, it's biblically based. A great book on fasting. And so I just want to give both of those guys credit. A lot of this practical stuff I'm going to get into, I've drawn directly from those two sources. All right. So here we go. I'm going to break this down to two categories, spiritual tips for fasting and practical tips for fasting. All right. Some spiritual tips. The purpose of fasting, okay. Primarily, it's focused and centered on God. It's God-focused it's God initiated, meaning I feel like He's kind of prompted me to do this. It's ordained by Him. And it's about searching for Him with no other objective to manipulate or control things. If fasting is about manipulating Him or trying to control things, we're already off. The primary focus is just a desire to seek Him and find Him and center on Him. That's the primary objective. Now, there are secondary benefits. Many of them I already listed, but here's, here's a kind of a basic. Some secondary benefits. It reveals the things that controls us. Man, when we begin to fast, we not only become aware of our bellies, but things just seem to rise to the surface. Sins, struggles that we're going through, they come to the surface. And so it reveals things that control us instead of letting God lead and guide and control us. The other thing it does, another secondary benefit, is that it reminds us of how we are sustained. We feast primarily on the Word of God. It's essential that when we are in seasons of fasting that we're spending time in the Word of God and in prayer, both talking to Him and listening to Him, receiving from Him. 
This enabled Jesus, when he was really hungry, to look at um, Satan's offer to turn stone into bread to say, man does not live by bread alone, but by every worth, every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so we feast on his word. Um, I love this, Jensen Franklin from his book on fasting. Fasting is not just a physical discipline. It can be a spiritual feast. Once you taste and see that the Lord is good, your hunger for more of his presence eclipses the limitation of your understanding. And I love that quote. It's not just a physical thing. It's a spiritual thing. And we taste and see that the Lord is good. It reminds us of the spiritual feast that we get from him. Jensen lists some awesome examples of what we receive um, when we fast. I've, I've seen these in my life. I recognize them. These are right on. Um, increased concentration and effectiveness in prayer. Guidance in decision-making and revelation from God. Deliverance from bondage, physical healing and well-being, and revival in the church. Those align with the biblical examples we've already given. The primary thing to remember, friends, when we're fasting is this. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. So let's do that. All right, I want to quickly list some, some warnings, some wrong motives for fasting to just be aware of, and then we're going to move into the practical stuff. Richard Foster has this to say, Whenever there is a form devoid of spiritual power, law will take over because law always carries with it a sense of security and manipulative power. Biblical fasting always centers on spiritual purposes. Therefore, here's the warnings. It's not a tool to manipulate God, number one. It's not to obtain merit or get forgiveness of sins. While we may fast while repenting, it's not our fast that somehow earns us the ability to be forgiven. Jesus has forgiven us. That's already won. We just simply receive it. Fasting can be a part of, of our genuine heartfelt repentance, but it's not earning merit. It doesn't get our sins forgiven. Fasting is also not a Christian diet. As, as sad as it is to say, there is stuff out there that promotes that, and it is unhealthy and wrong. It's not a Christian diet. If you're just doing it to lose weight, then you're just starving yourself, and that's not healthy. Fasting centers on prayer, worship, and the Word. Um, and then finally, a final warning. I already mentioned this a few minutes ago, but do not fast to be noticed by others. All right? There's some spiritual tips on fasting. Okay, practical tips. Let's say you decided, I think God's calling me to fast. Maybe this is something I haven't really done in my life. I'm looking for where to start. What could I do? I, I want to give you some things to consider while um, deciding to fast. So these are practical tips, okay? Number one. Have a clear goal for the fast. Why am I doing it? What's the purpose of it? What's the goal? Um, you know, kind of when, how, where, why? Like, what's the goal of the fast? Have a clear goal. Don't just do some vague, random thing. Um, prepare spiritually, okay? Go back through everything I just mentioned. Prepare spiritually. Are your motives right? Are you ready to seek the Lord? Maybe you even open the fast with just some re repentance and seeking forgiveness and going, Hey, Lord, there's just some junk I want to see gone, and now let me lean into you. Prepare spiritually. Um, decide what to fast. I want to give you some examples of different types of fasts. 
Um, it's not always just no food, no drink, nothing, all right? There's partial fasts. For example, a lot of the fasts we see in Daniel's life, they were like a fruits and veggies only fast, water only fast. There was no meats, no sweets, no breads, no wine, that sort of a thing. And so you can have a partial fast where there's just certain foods I'm eating and maybe water only. Um, you could do what would be considered more of a normal fast. And so kind of a biblical fast where um, kind of most of the fasting we see in the scripture, people are drinking water, but they're not taking in any form of food. Um, so there's water, so you're getting hydrated regularly, but you're not eating. Those, believe it or not, can last up to 40 days. I mean, those are pretty extreme cases, but they do. I would highly consider before you tackle a quote-unquote normal fast with no food, especially one that's going to be for a length of time, um, you got to consider your health. Are you pregnant? Do you have diabetes? Things of that nature. And so if this is something you feel called to um, and you know you're in a high-risk category, maybe consider something more in the partial fast zone um, to be careful. All right, an absolute fast where you're not even drinking water. Man, those are for very short bursts only, very short periods of time, one to three days max, um, and depending on your health. Like, man, before you shut down all food and water and everything, you really need to be careful and consider that. But there, there are times and places where we see people like not take in anything for very short periods of time. And then finally, a specific fast. Um, you know, this is something we see a lot around Lent, you know, where somebody kind of picks a thing they're going to give up for a little while. Um, a specific food, a drink, an activity for a period of time. Again, I would set a clear goal and decide how long you're going to do it and then stick with it. All right. So deciding what to fast. Right along with deciding what to fast, decide how long. Um, if you're a beginner at this, start small. Don't decide, hey, I'm going to go just fast for the next week. I mean, you're probably setting yourself up for failure there. Um, so if you're a beginner, start out small. Do a day-long fast. You know, do something from lunch to lunch so that you're kind of missing, you know, three meals, but maybe you're still eating each of those days. It could kind of help you get used to going that long of a period of time without, um, without eating. And so do a day. Maybe move up to three days. Um, then you might do something like, like the Daniel model of a fast where you build all the way up to like a 21-day fast um, where it's a partial fast, you know, and you're doing kind of the, the veggies and the water sort of thing. Man, you might even move up to a 40-day fast like Jesus and Moses and others. Um, but decide how long you're going to fast. And if you're new at it, work your way up, all right? Last thing, all right? What to expect during a fast. This is about as practical as I can get. I want to read this to you. Um, don't stock up before a, before a fast, especially a longer one. That'll actually mess you up. It's better to taper off. So in fact, begin to taper off leading up to a long fast. You can expect headaches, irritability, hunger pains. Your body is probably having withdrawals. If you're like me, you're going to be feeling withdrawals from caffeine and sugar big time. Um, your body is detoxifying for you for several days. If you're going to do a long fast especially, you just need to know up front that's going to happen in the first few days, and then you'll kind of start to find a stride as you go. You readjust. Um, get a lot of rest and way decrease your exercise because if you're not taking calories in, um, you need to be careful not to push your body too much. And so do very moderate exercise only. Um, be careful about weakness and dizziness um, with sudden adjustments. That's something that you can notice. So 
Here's the deal. Be careful, move slowly, and hang in there. Um, and then finally, ending a fast, don't overeat, especially after a long fast. Ease your way back into normal eating. All right, listen, friends, we've covered a lot of ground. I hope you've hung in there with me. We've seen Daniel's example. We've seen scriptural precedent for prayer and fasting. And I've tried to give you some practical advice. Um, I rushed through some of this. So again, my notes are available. I referenced those two books. The authors and the titles of their books are in my notes. You could check those out. I'd highly recommend it. Here's the bottom line in conclusion, okay? We are called to a loving relationship with God. Faithful devotion to Him is the goal. He is always faithful. We go through ups and downs and roller coasters. I get that. But, but a loving relationship is about being committed for the long haul. And so let's be faithfully devoted followers of Jesus. And let's be open to prayer and fasting being a part of our lives, being a vital part of our spiritual growth and relationship that helps us stay focused and committed in the long run. And friends, if you can relate to some of these seasons that we've described where people needed guidance, they needed help, they needed to repent, um, that thing, they were in trouble, like just the circumstances around them were overwhelming, consider prayer and fasting and seeking the Lord. Friends, let's live lives of worship and let's be sure that prayer and fasting are an important walk, are an important part of our walk with Jesus. All right? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love for us. Lord, That we thank you that you invite us to know you and to experience you in our lives. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the ability to worship you, to pray. God, both to bring our request to you and to listen to your voice and receive direction from you. Lord, thank you for the example of your son Jesus and others um, who have fasted at key times in life in order to lean into you, to seek you, God. Lord, we thank you that you reward us when we diligently seek you. Lord, I pray for myself, for my friends today. Lord, that we wouldn't, we wouldn't feel some sense of obligation or pressure to be people who fast and pray, but Lord, that we would see it um, as a tool in our tool belt, God, as an opportunity to lean into you. Lord, would you help guard us against bad motivations, Lord, to try to manipulate or control circumstances, to try to earn your favor in some way. Instead, may we recognize this as a part of our relationship with you and our growth as we mature and are transformed more and more into your image and glory. Jesus, we love you. We worship you. We declare our utter dependence upon you. Would you lead and guide us in this specific stuff? But God, would you lead and guide us in all ways, every day? It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I love you, my friends. Bless you guys. Sign up for a life group. Sign up for Foundations class. Um, we, we're almost ready to announce our outdoor worship service. We're, we're honing on just a couple more details. We're targeting August 30th. So if you want to mark Sunday, August 30th on your calendar, we'll keep you posted on time and location soon. Love you, friends. See you soon. Have a great week.